Good afternoon. Welcome to a very special episode of Screen Cleaning. Because every episode's special. That's true. And when everybody's special, no one is. is. What movie, Mickey? The Incredibles. Yes, very good. Very good. No, this really is a special show. What I mean by that is that we... Every once in a while, have sort of a landmark show, and what I mean by that is we will highlight the career of an actor, director, somebody in the entertainment industry. And today, it's very fitting because Dumbo is coming out this weekend. We will be highlighting the career of Tim Burton, the creepy, kooky master himself. That's right. Uh, thankfully, Dumbo is not a horror movie, but more on that in just a minute. As we do each and every episode of Screen Cleaning, we start out the show by giving you the very best in entertainment news, as well as sometimes some sad and maybe frustrating news. We've got a little bit of that today, too. Is that what you want to start with, Jeff? No. I know you've been dying no, because to get something off your chest. I've got a better segue into that piece of news <laughs> okay, go ahead. than that one. <laughs> So the first piece of news I think you guys in particular are going to be so excited about, and uh, it is the trailer for Scary Movies to Tell in the Dark. They finally got a full-length teaser. Scary stories. Right. It's very short, but, you know, not disappointing. Based on a cool series of books that I already love, I was already going to go see it. Okay. But yeah, there's a trailer. It's fun. So I will admit a couple of the images in the trailer were a little unsettling. But as a whole, I'm rather skeptical. Why? Because, well, I don't want to get into the technical issues that I had with the trailer. But suffice it to say, it it basically looks like your run-of-the-mill teenage horror movie. Someday we'll talk about trailers and just like our favorite or least favorite, some that worked and some that didn't. Most of the time these trailers are farmed out to entirely separate things. And so it has nothing to do with the quality of the movie Okay, if the trailer might stink in Jeffrey's opinion. We'll see. We'll see. I know a lot of people are going to have high expectations. Whether or not the trailers are good or not. Right. Now I understand you guys have some news as well. We do. So HBO announced this week that they will be producing and releasing a Game of Thrones documentary, which is kind of Hmm. like the making of the show. But (laughs) Because the show is ending. Right, the show is ending. But if you don't watch the show, I still think you'll think it's cool because of the way they do things. For example, on YouTube this past week, they released uh, their stunt coordinator talking about how they light people on fire in Game of Thrones. And it's amazing. Like what they have to do and how many layers of clothing these people are wearing. So if you're, you know, if you're a behind the scenes kind of person and you don't watch Game of Thrones, you'll probably still like this. Interesting. I, I would be willing to bet there's still plenty of objectionable, con- objectionable <laughs> content in a documentary about Game of Thrones. Here's how we did the lighting on this intimate scene here. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. be careful. You know, anytime you watch Game of Thrones, but but a documentary. That YouTube clips way cool. Interesting. So. But it's going to HBO. It's not going to theaters. It's HBO. It's just. Darn, it can't yeah. win an Academy Award, I guess. <laughs> 
Cole, Dang what it. about you? Do you have any other news? March is coming to a close, which means April is around the corner. The 1st of April means April Fool's Day, and it also means there will be new movies and television hitting Netflix and Hulu and all of the other streaming platforms. Yes! We would like to start trying to give you a little bit more of what to look forward to in the coming months as each month comes to a close, because they do release which movies they get. It sounds like for one of these series, we're going to have to bunker down and uh, just not do anything else that weekend, right? Hulu will be adding most of the James, James Bond, Bond. Which ones? Like which era? <laughs> a lot of the good ones. You uh, know, as I was looking through, we got all of Connery, we got Lazenby, and some of Roger Moore at least. All right. It's interesting because there are obviously some James Bond movies that are much better than others. Yes. But I enjoy watching all of them. Even the really campy ones. Although... Maybe not so much the Pierce Brosnan ones after Goldeneye, because he did Mm -hmm. one good James Bond movie of the four that he did. I like Die Another Day's all right. Mm. The Invisible Jet slash Ice, I don't know, it was like an ice hotel or something, and the... The uh, windsurfing, the tsunami. Sure. Yeah. So a bunch of these are going to be on Hulu. Okay, let me backtrack a bit. I like any of the Roger Moore movies because they are just all so different and bonkers and enjoyable. Yeah, I'm going to have to check those out. I haven't seen a bunch of those. Okay. You know, I I think I mentioned to you guys that next weekend, my wife and I are surprising our kids with a trip to Legoland. We've never been. We're so excited. Hopefully they're not listening to this right now. They're definitely not (laughs) Not listening to this right now. We're planning on telling them next week anyway. But uh, the thing about theme parks is that sometimes they don't make it very conducive to uh, your budget, meaning it's not very budget friendly in that you can't necessarily take things that you want to to save money like your own children or child transportation in the form of strollers. You can't take, (laughs) you know, you can't take food and all this. Well, Disneyland is cracking down on a few things, and they are making some rules, some of which I think are pretty bold, and others, you know, I, they people just need to deal with it, you know. The first and foremost, uh, the biggest one being, you can no longer smoke inside any Disney park. That's huge. They used to have designated mm, smoking, smoking areas. areas. Can't do it. Can't do it at all. You can't bring your four-person stroller anymore. Or five what if or six I have four or seven. kids under the age of four? It's got <laughs> to fit within a certain uh, dimension. Dimension. Thank you very much. Preferably these three and not time. And right. <laughs> oh, speaking of that, Twilight Zone, the CBS All Access series, is coming out next week. That's so exciting. Interdimensional Did we find out if they're releasing banned. all of them at, at once? or No, it's one... <laughs> So they must know that people just want to binge it, so they're only doing one at a time. So I have to wait probably until May, mm-hmm. the end of May, before I can watch all the episodes, which I will do. Well, we did mention that there is a new movie coming out, but I wanted to be able to review another movie, but I was not able to because my Cinemia app is not currently working. And Cinemia I- is the new movie pass for anyone that's missed out on the past Five weeks of screen cleaning and Jeff praising it. Even though uh, MoviePass is trying to come back with a you know a ten dollar a month plan, and now Cinemia is trying to match it with a fifteen dollar unlimited plan. So it's just this big battle between the two now. But 
A lot of people are thinking that Cinemia is purposely putting technical glitches onto their app that al- allow you or that do not allow you to check into a movie. Claims that were lofted at MoviePass during its dying days. Mm-hmm. And which I think were pretty much verified. But this is a thing that's been going on for several weeks where you try to select a movie, you get the loading circle, and then it just goes back to the screen where you can select a movie. So you cannot select a movie. And I couldn't... I couldn't review Apollo 11 or Fighting with My Family, any of these other movies I wanted to see. Once again, something was too good to be true, and then it was too good. Mm -hmm. Yes. It's a shame. Someday somebody will crack the the code for MoviePass type service, and I will subscribe when they do. (laughs) But today's not that day. Luckily, I got a free screener to Disney's Dumbo, a movie that was directed by Tim Tim Burton. Burton. And, of course, later on in the show, we're going to be highlighting his career. I want to say that this movie starts off nice. It starts off with this pan of Casey Jr. It just like the original film starts off with Casey Jr. And I love how you get an introduction to all the characters by just seeing the paintings on the different cars on the train. I thought it was pretty cool, including uh, a mermaid. The Strongest Man, A Snake Charmer. So right off the bat, these are all characters that would typically be in a Tim Burton movie, right? And a circus. Right. As well as the Medici brothers, both of whom are allegedly played by Danny DeVito. You find out later that there's only one and it's all a farce. Spoilers. Um, Yeah. But there's also the biggest star of the circus is played by Colin Farrell's character, who uh, is coming home from World War II, or I'm sorry, World War I at the beginning of the film, minus one of his arms. And he was the star of the show, but because he can no longer, or because Danny DeVito's character sold off his horses, now he has to be in charge of this new elephant that Danny DeVito bought, which is a great deal because this elephant's about to give birth. So the elephant's name is Jumbo, and the baby's name is Jumbo Jr. Well. It is. (laughs) And later on in the film, there is a reason why this elephant becomes uh, named Dumbo. So really interesting characters right off the bat. Unfortunately, there's not much for them to do in the movie. The script is a little weak. The characters are a little wooden. The kids that they chose to play Colin Farrell's kids are... Really not that good of actors, unfortunately. And I say that in the nicest way possible. The first half of the film is really interesting. I like how they make references to the original film. However, speaking of the performances, once Michael Keaton's V.A. Vanderveer shows up, he's like Sounds this. Sounds like a bad guy. He's a bad guy. Uh, the, the movie really starts to go downhill. I'm really not sure what he was trying to do with this character. It's a really bizarre performance that I just don't buy into. I don't can't tell if it's just bad acting or just bad choices. Because I've seen him act well in other movies. Uh, we're going to mention Beetlejuice later on in the show. I think that's his favorite role of his career, by the way. But yeah, it just it's visually stunning. Don't get me wrong. Visually stunning. And I mentioned the really clever ways of incorporating scenes from the original film, especially Pink Elephants on Parade. And believe it or not, there's a really interesting cameo from uh, the Let's Get Ready to Rumble guy that 
Cole will probably make you groan, but made everybody else in the theater that I was in laugh. Great. And there are some really <laughs> sweet moments in the film between Jumbo and Baby Jumbo Do slash Dumbo. they play Dumbo. Baby Mine? Because that's where they you get did. your like cry, the right? They song? did. Yeah. But just like so many other movies where there are animals that you're supposed to be rooting for and humans, the animals are so much more interesting than the humans. And I wish there would have been more moments between Jumbo and Jumbo Jr., so it's it's sweet, but there's just not enough of that sweetness. I would say that this is really middle-of-the-road Tim Burton. Maybe lower middle-of-the-road Tim Burton, but middle-of-the-road nonetheless. Considering that the original Dumbo is roughly one hour, and they turned this into a proper feature-length Disney. It, almost they had two hours. plenty yeah. of stuff that wow. they needed to add. So as far as the Disney re- live-action remakes, where does this fall? Um, between um, Cinderella, Maleficent, I didn't Beauty see and the Maleficent, Beast, uh, Jungle Book, Alice in Wonderland. I would by s- Tim Burton. I would say it's better than Beauty and the Beast. How about that? Better than Beauty and the Beast. Hmm. Well, I like Beauty and the Beast. I so. still think the best live action movie we've gotten so far is Cinderella, which has Helena Bonham Carter in it. That is true. That is true. Wow, it's all coming full circle. And we're going to continue this theme of Tim Burton when we return as we highlight the career of the very unique Tim Burton. That's up next. Wait for it, Cole. This is the best part right here. That, of course, is Danny Elfman's Breakfast Machine song from Pee-wee's Big Adventure, a film that Cole may not have the nicest things to say about during our discussion as we continue to talk about the career of Tim Burton. Yes, we are. And I am so excited to talk about some of these films. We just uh, we just finished giving our review of Dumbo, Tim Burton's 19th film. Man, that's a lot of films over so many decades. He's been doing movies since the 80s, Cole. The 80s. With Pee-wee's Big Adventure, yeah. That's right. His first film, first feature-length film, Pee-wee's Big Adventure. First of many films, first of many to include a Rube Goldberg machine with weird, honky... Um, Danny Elfman music. We're going to talk about some of the themes that tie Tim Burton movies together here in our first little uh, batch of Tim Burton stuff. Right. Now, to be fair, Cole did not watch the entirety or did not watch Pee-wee's Big Adventure in its entirety. If he had, he may have noticed that there were elements of animation in Pee-wee's Big Adventure. You're right. I didn't get that far. Which is interesting because that is where it all started with Tim Burton. Was Not surprised. Hired on by Disney and was actually a concept artist. So basically these guys that will come up with some of the sketches, some of the drawings for things that will ultimately end up in these animated films. He worked on The Fox and the Hound. He worked on Tron. And he worked on The Black Cauldron. So, but the interesting thing is, they didn't end up using any of his work for those movies. Which, which considering is those movies, like <laughs> is probably... Yeah, Tron Tron is really interesting out of that batch, and I really love Tron. But those other ones are in that kind of dark ages of Disney, where 
things weren't exactly pushing the boundaries of anything. It's interesting you say dark because his animation tends <laughs> to be a little darker, a little more twisted. And, uh, you know, he from there he started doing these animated uh, like stop motion films, short films. He did a live action film. So he is a huge fan of the work of Vincent Price. And so he did a short called Vincent where he uh, was telling the story of this little boy that was fantasizing about being his idol, Vincent Price. And the short was narrated by none other than Vincent Price. Aw. Yeah. So a clever little film. He and, got to work with one of his idols. And he works with him in another film that we'll talk about later as well. Uh, but then he went on to make a short called Frankenweenie. Now, Frankenweenie is a live action short about basically a little dog that is hit by a car and this little boy who's just devastated who uses his scientific knowledge to try to reanimate his deceased best friend. And it stars Daniel Stern of Wonder Years and Home Alone fame, as well as Shelley Duvall. Cole will know Shelley Duvall from The Shining. Yes. And Disney was none too happy that Tim Burton was using their resources to create something that really was not geared toward kids, right? <laughs> Which is a little bit ironic because as we go through his filmography, Frank and Weenie will come up again with Disney's stamp of approval on it. But came more around. More on that later. Now, if you're a fan or if you're familiar at all with the works of Tim Burton, you know that he's a very stylistic director. He uses these very rich colors. And even though a lot of his films can be seen as very gothic, even the darkest colors seem very bright and colorful. And these are themes that show up throughout all of his movies. And another thing that shows up throughout many of his movies are the same actors. Yeah, I mean, I think what the actors are wearing and the way he contrasts the colors are what makes the color pop. If you put pale face on someone, get like cakey right. white makeup on them and have them <laughs> wear black and white striped suits, which happens in more than just Beetlejuice. If For you sure. tend to watch more than one Tim Burton movie, which yeah. I did this week, um, you start seeing some of these themes connect together. Yeah. And speaking of frequent collaborators, we've tasked Mickey with coming up with a bit of a trivia contest for Cole and myself regarding the films of Tim Burton and those with whom he continues to work. One of these days we're going to do a trivia contest that actually advantages me like from the get-go. It one hasn't happened days. yet, but we'll one see, of these days. I mean, don't count your chickens before they're hatched. Maybe, you might do very well on this. Maybe don't know. around Halloween we'll do a horror one and I'll do horribly <laughs> and you'll do quite well. All right. So the theme here is Tim Burton's most frequent collaborators. Eight questions, one bonus question. Oh boy. Let's see how you do. Now, is it just whoever answers first or are we going to go in turn? Mm, what would you rather? Let's go in turn and give Cole the advantage by giving him the first question. All right. Cole. Yeah. Perhaps the most famous collaborator... Johnny Depp. ...is Johnny Depp. <laughs> Dang it. How many Burton films has he starred in? Here's a hint. Uh, Burton did not do any of the Pirates of the Caribbean movies. Ooh. So are we talking live action and animated? Like where is Lenta's voice as well? Yes. Yes. Um, 
So off the cuff, I I feel three or four. I'm going to go four without taking the time to count. That's your final answer? It is. It's actually eight. Well, Ooh. so he's been in uh, more than anybody else. Yeah, eight. My goodness. All right, Jeff. Tim Burton also loves to use Danny DeVito in his yes, movies. Yes, yes. So can you name a Burton film where Danny DeVito isn't in the circus? A, De- <laughs> a Danny DeVito film where uh, he isn't in the circus. Yes, the, he's he's been in four of them, four Tim Burton movies. And he wasn't in the circus in this film, but he was at a casino, and it was his cameo in Mars Attacks. Correct. Yes. He is in the circus. I need to rewatch that Dumbo. movie. It looked interesting when I was doing my research. I add that to my <laughs> watch list as well. All right, cool. We're going to talk about Danny Elfman later in the show. Famous composer of the Beetlejuice theme, etc. Mm-hmm. So which Burton movies are not scored by Elfman? Ooh. Um, I want names here, not numbers. Mickey is taking <laughs> names today. So... I'm okay. I'm gonna say Sweeney Todd, the Demon Barber of Fleet Street. That's correct. That's a given because it came with. Sondheim. Oh, do I right. have more? That's the other. Yeah, what are I the, want other, the two? other two? <laughs> oh, that's all I got. <laughs> I know what they are, Go but ahead. I mean, I I did kind of research this do topic research. a little bit, but the other two are going to be uh, Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children. I mm-hmm. think that's the title of it. I don't know anything about that, but maybe and then apparently. It's good. Around the time that Tim Burton was doing Ed Wood, the two of them had a, a, a temporary falling out. Yeah, so he well, did he didn't not, do that one. He but didn't do that apparently one. they've resolved it, so that's, you know, yeah. a message of hope for all of us. Just get over our, it. Get over yeah. your differences and be friends and again. And how many beautiful things can you create after that? Yes. Okay. Hopefully <laughs> your differences only last one movie and not uh, longer, right, like not with some longer. of his other Ooh. female collaborators. Uh, yeah, we may of, be talking about that. Let's talk Helena Bonham Carter <laughs> cool. right now. Um, <laughs> segue me. <laughs> she, she's in seven Burton films, and she's also a two-time Oscar nominee. Yes. What are the movies she was nominated for? Hint, they are not Burton films. That is correct. She was nominated for The King's Speech Correct. is one of them. And was she also nominated for, like, The Wings of a Dove? Wow, very impressed. I had never heard of that movie until I was crafting wow. this quiz. Okay, I did it. Awesome. You did it. Okay. All right, cool. Have you yes. heard of Christopher Lee? Yes. He's been of course in he five has. Burton films. And quite a few Hammer Horrors of the 1950s and 60s. So who did he play in Charlie in the Chocolate Factory? Johnny Depp's dad. Do I need a name? What was his occupation? <laughs> Mr. Yeah. Wonka, the dentist. Correct. Yeah, there you go. Willy Wonka's dad, the dentist. Very good, Cole. Okay, Jeff. Tim Burton loves to use Michael Keaton in mm-hmm. his movies. But do you know Michael Keaton's first ever role? In a movie? In anything. Oh, my goodness. Mm, if you get this, I will be so impressed because I didn't know. Uh, it's... It's not going to be Johnny Dangerously or The Night Shift. It's probably not even Mr. Mom. I I honestly do not know. According to IMDb, yes. the first thing he ever was in uh, was Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. He played the panda, oh which my must goodness. have been one of the puppets. Aww. Why wasn't he in Won't You Be My Neighbor? That would have been a great addition to that film. He must have just, you know, 
probably just like a he and Mister Rogers or something. He and Mister Rogers had a falling out. I'm sure <laughs> that's too bad. <laughs> they could think of the collaborations we could have. I had know. from those two. All wow. right, Cole. Yes, Winona Ryder has mm-hmm. been in you know more than one burden film, okay, including Edward Scissorhands. But what TV show does she currently star in? Stranger Things. Yes, correct. Yay! We love and season three coming on July fourth. Mm-hmm. Yes, mark your calendars with another '80s icon, Carrie Elwes of The Princess Bride fame. So excited! Okay, Jeff, this person is a Tim Burton collaborator. Mm-hmm. His name is not Danny DeVito, mm-hmm. and he's been in Batman and Mars Attacks. Jack Nicholson, correct? That's yes. Woo! <laughs> okay, Cole. We're gonna we're gonna. Uh, Jeff's obviously winning. We're gonna uh, let you take a stab at the bonus question first. Uh, Tim Burton has actually dabbled in the music video direction field. Ooh. But Ooh. for which band? You've heard of them. Um, I'm gonna guess based on. I'm going to have a reason for this guess. Okay. I have no idea whatsoever. But I'm going to say OK Go just because of his fascination with those weird machines. And they use those machines in a lot of their music videos. Interesting. Excellent guess. It's wrong. Jeff? Oh, well. I, wa- I want to say like Nine Inch Nails or something. I, I That seems right. It is not right, unfortunately, though. I You know, it does seem right. It's actually The Killers. The oh, Killers? Sure. Really? On, yes. the on, on a song called Here With Me. Well, thanks for putting that together, oh, Mickey. Oh, you're so welcome. It was so, a pleasure. I, I want to go back to a comment that Cole made earlier about some of his female collaborators. You can always tell with whom uh, Tim Burton has a relationship depending on what female he casts in his movies. There for, are eras of Tim Burton's uh, movies. Right. Defined for a while, by who's the female star. And there's often some overlap, too. That's right. Them, that's what, that's a little awkward. So he did four with a woman named Lisa Marie. Now, if you're not familiar with her, it's it would be all okay because she was never the star of any of these movies. She was one of the character actors. I think in Ed Wood, she was... I can't remember her character name, but she was very much like Elvira who presents these B-horror movies on late-night television. Oh, yeah. She was a Martian. Well, she she was the basically the, the, body, the human bodysuit of a Martian in Mars Attacks. She was in Sleepy Hollow as Johnny Depp's mom. And then the overlap that Mickey referenced was in Planet of the Apes, where she was like this wife of one of the head apes, and I remember that. I remember her name in that because she was Nova. Even like that was the name that they used in the original Planet of the Apes for right. Charlton Heston's like human gal. Um, yeah, they used the name for Lisa Marie's ape gal. And this. but Planet of the Apes is significant because this is the first film where there's overlap between Tim Burton's outgoing girlfriend and his uh, incoming. incoming girlfriend Helena, Helena Bonham, Bonham Carter. Carter. Now, if you look at his films, they are devoid of Helena Bonham Carter so clearly, and it's been confirmed that they're no longer an item. We're now I in did the Eva Green era. Eva Green era. Wikipedia that they're they're still friends, and she hopes that this would you know they will still be able to collaborate. Sure, that's what she said. Did I don't she see, mean it? 
I don't, I see, don't know. <laughs> I don't see it happening because, as Cole said, now he's moved on to Eva Green. I don't know that they're dating. I'm pretty sure they're not. But he's now used her in three of his films, the first one being Miss Peregrine, the next – or uh, it was either Miss Peregrine or Dark Shadows. I've got the list here. Dark Shadows definitely came first. Yes, Dark Shadows was first, then Miss Peregrine, and most recently – Dumbo. But that's another overlap, right? Because Helena Bonham Carter is in Dark Shadows. That is true. Man, I wonder who will be in the overlapping film next. But there's one collaborator that we briefly mentioned in the trivia contest, and that is Danny Elfman. And when we return, we are going to be focusing extensively on the collaborations between Tim Burton and Danny Elfman to produce some of the greatest musical work in film that I can think of. That's up next on Screen Cleaning. What's this? What's this? There's something very wrong. What's this? There's people singing songs. What's this? The streets are lined with little creatures laughing. Everybody seems so happy. Have I possibly gone down? Oh my goodness, this song just gives me chills. That, of course, is Danny Elfman's theme to the 1989 Tim Burton-directed film, Batman. One of the greatest collaborations between composer Danny Elfman and director Tim Burton, wouldn't you say, Cole? Especially because it comes back again in Batman the Animated Series in kind of a motif, and it comes back again when Danny Elfman was asked to do some patchwork on the score for Justice League. He put this little cue in for when Batman shows up again as well. For the dozens and dozens of films that Danny Elfman has scored... And the dozens of TV series that Danny Elfman has scored. Would it surprise you to know that Danny Elfman has never won an Academy Award? Would surprise me, I think. And would it, based on the films that we're going to be talking about during this segment, would it surprise you to know that of the four times, only four times that Danny Elfman has been nominated for an Academy Award, only one of those came from a Tim Burton film. And it wasn't from Batman. Was it for the songs in Nightmare Before Christmas? No. None of nothing for Nightmare Before Christmas for the music was nominated. And uh it was for a film called Big Fish. Hmm. Oh, really? Isn't that, that got interesting? That the Oscar nomination. Right. So after we share some of these scores with you, your eyes will probably pop out of their sockets because... Because we're talking about Tim Burton, and that's what eyes do in a Tim Burton movie. They're so... Large Marge. That's true. <laughs> Did you make it to Large Did Marge? Did you make it to Large Marge? No. Cole! Oh, that's the go most back. important part. That is like the funniest scene in the movie. And it's scary. We keep yes. teasing it. I did not love Pee-wee's Big Adventure. We'll tell you why in after we come back from break again. But this is Danny Elfman. Right. And Danny Elfman, that from the very beginning, after um, Tim Burton became a fan of Danny Elfman's work, as Danny Elfman was the front man for the band Oingo Boingo. Yeah. If you're not familiar with Oingo Boingo, you'll probably recognize the song Weird Science, which became the theme song... Uh, for the movie, and then there was the TV show, Weird Science. We also, at, at some point, ought to mention Tim Burton's love of Tom Jones. Because Tom Jones, his music is very present in Edward Scissorhands, and then 
Tom Jones has a cameo in Mars Attacks as well. Yes. So, Pee-wee's Big Adventure was their first collaboration. It's just really imaginative, twisted music. And we just heard the score for Batman. And I really do feel like Danny Elfman's music is crucial to the success of Batman. Some people might argue Prince is crucial to the success of Batman because he also helped out on the soundtrack as well. But do yourselves a favor. Don't look up the music video of one of the Prince songs where he's like half of his costume is Joker and the other half is I can't even I think it's Prince. It's really quite weird and very fitting for the 80s. Sounds like Prince to me. Right. So, Cole, why do you think this soundtrack and this score is so iconic? Danny Elfman was able to put to music a character that we'd only seen on comic books. The interesting thing about comic books is that they only represent the visual and the the dialogue sometimes. And so when we brought comic books to film, an important thing beyond the color and just the stylizations and how they fight, because we got that on comic books, were how it was going to sound. And Danny Elfman represented Batman so well the first time that we keep using it again and again. Yeah. And you already referenced one of the Danny Elfman compositions that surprisingly wasn't nominated for any Academy Awards. However... This is a film that is so iconic. I had a friend who once told me that uh, basically Hot Topic owes all of their business to The Nightmare Before Christmas. That's true. And if If not that, the rest of the films of Tim Burton. (laughs) Right. An interesting fact, this is a Tim Burton and Danny Elfman collaboration that was not even directed by uh, Tim Burton. Produced by. And in the title card... Tim Burton's right. Nightmare Before Christmas. But didn't he do right. some of the art? Like, Oh, yeah. No, okay. Yeah, absolutely. That so this is technically the director. This was based on a, a book, a children's too. book mm-hmm. and art that Tim Burton had done previously. So it really is Tim Burton's creation, just not technically directed by Tim Burton because he was probably busy doing everything else. But Danny Elfman was also very busy in this film because not only does he score the film – but he writes all of the th- all of the songs that you hear in the movie as well as he is the singing, singing voice. Yes, yeah, so Jack Skellington has his own voice actor, but when we Chris hear, Sarandon, when we hear Prince Humperdinck of Princess sing, Bride fame, it's Danny Elfman. That's right. Interesting. So, and it I thought they did a pretty good job as a kid. I didn't really I couldn't tell the difference between the singing voice and the acting voice. So we get to hear some more of the Oingo Boingo frontman, and the songs are just so cool and very surprising that he didn't get any recognition for this music. He did music. another lesser-known, actually, Tim Burton-directed stop-motion musical dark kind of film later on in he and Tim Burton's lives, The Corpse Bride. Right. When I first watched, I was expecting a Coraline-looking, just general mm-hmm. stop-motion, creepy thing. But right from the first cue, I said, this this sounds like it's going to be a musical. And then the first words out of anyone's mouth were singing. And yes. So I looked it up. I wanted to see which character Danny Elfman was going to be singing for. It's a character called Bojangles that's a skeleton yes. later on in the underworld. Interesting. And, you can't get away from these skeleton roles. That's what you do when you're in a Tim Burton movie. And t- speaking of Corpse Bride, Tim Burton, I think, learned his lesson this time around, and he was the co-director 
this time, and he was nominated for an Academy Award for Corpse Bride. Oh, interesting. Yes, yes. Interesting. So another film, another collaboration between the two was another film in which Tim or Danny Elfman not only wrote the score, but he wrote the songs. And the lyrics, at least, came from the source material, which was Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Willy Wonka. Willy Wonka. Yes. That other, part, oh, that part is an original. Songs. And that song can is featured in the original trailer for Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. I remember seeing the trailer for the first time. My jaw dropped. My eyes were popping out of my head. Being a huge fan of the original, I had such high expectations for this film. I was so excited to see it, even though I was older at this point, you know, and it's probably one of those films that I shouldn't be so excited about at that age. But I was so excited. I did like the music. And what was cool about this... I think it's great that we also just came from talking about Corpse Bride. Because Tim Burton, Danny Elfman, uh, Christopher Lee, who we mentioned earlier, Johnny Depp, they were all doing these two movies simultaneously. They both released in 2005. The cool thing about Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, though, the songs for it anyway, is that Danny Elfman chose a different genre of music for each of the Oompa Loompa songs. As opposed to the boilerplate Oompa Loompa Doompity Doo. Right. You Which, did something you know, dumb, we're going to kill you. Like, but, yes. Okay. But speaking the of scary, was nice. Speaking of scary, as a kid, anytime the Oompa Loompas were on the screen and they were looking directly at the screen, I would run out of the room screaming and my family would torment me. I would run out and I would you know, shout back in, are they gone yet? Are they gone? They'd say, yep, they're gone. And I would come back and they They weren't weren't gone. gone. They were teasing me. Classic family. Yes. So the Oompa Loompas in this aren't as scary, but the lyrics of the songs are pulled straight from the book. So a credit to Tim Burton and Danny Elfman for trying to stay close to the source material. However, we want to end our collaboration with Danny Elfman discussion by mentioning the score that I think is his greatest work to date. Arguably, either this or The Simpsons, because that is one that has stuck around for so many years. Yes. But this, of course, is the score for Beetlejuice. Beetlejuice. Oh, I'm going to say it a third time. (laughs) Beetlejuice. Thanks. Is Michael (laughs) Keaton around here anywhere? No. Okay. Good. Um, this is a song that not only just, it's, it's not even fun to listen to, which it totally is. I could listen to this all day. Anytime I make a soundtrack for myself where, you know, I want like an inspirational or like get me pumped up. Beetlejuice will be on it. Yes, it's just so cool. I love listening to Rocky. That's a fun fact about Jeff. I was going to say, most people choose Rocky, but, you know, to each their own. So in addition to being fun to listen to and really setting the tone for the film right off the bat, it's it's creepy, it's weird. This uh, It's also been known to set the tone for different movies. Right. When a film hasn't uh, decided on their score yet, but they still want to put out a trailer, or if they don't think their own score is as good as this one, and they still want people to go see it, they'll put it in their trailer so that people can get excited. And I think that's a credit to Tim or to Danny Elfman's Beetlejuice because it really gets people going, it gets people excited, and it gets them in the mood to see a really cool movie. So Cole. 
You did something cool. You put together a list of the films where this song pops up. And just really quick, here's the list of the films that have featured it in their trailers. Yes. A Bug's Life. Yep. Casper. Sure. Eight-Legged Freaks. Uh-huh. Never heard of it, but... Falling it Down. I don't know how that falls into Falling Down with um, Michael Douglas. Horton Hears a Who. Monster House. Very fitting. My Favorite Martian. Scary Movie 1, 2, and 3. Sleepy Hollow. And the Rugrats Movie. Of Interesting. Course. Yeah. So I, like I said, I'm going to go home and listen to this and put it on a mixed tape and maybe even watch Beetlejuice again, which is a film we're going to be talking about more in depth when we return as I give you my favorites and not so favorites of the Tim Burton filmography. That's up next on Screen Cleaning. That, of course, is the Willy Wonka song that Cole teased in the last segment. I love Oompa Loompas. And just listening to that gives me the creeps. And if you see it paired with what's on uh, on the screen during the movie, it's a creepy scene. And then right here is where the mechanisms start going goofy. <laughs> all burns and melts and all the people are like, what? And Johnny is Depp is standing on? smiling. Yeah, Yay! he's smiling and clapping and is just in glee that uh, these little characters burst into flames. Like I like I said, that movie a lot creepy. more in retrospect. When I first saw it, it just wasn't Gene Wilder. Yeah. I was kind of disappointed they're, as a little kid. They're both good in their own way. That's what I like about that yeah. kind of pair of remakes. Right. So this film will show up right about middle of the road Tim Burton for me as we go over my rankings for Tim Burton's filmography and let's start with the bad and end on a high note I about, like it okay Sounds good all right so I'm going to go in order that these movies were released and some of these picks are probably going to surprise you well yeah and so Jeff's doing this by tiers this right. isn't necessarily number 18 first right but the we're bottom go- tier of Tim Burton includes the- how many movies for you uh it'll be Six. And then there will Perfectly be... Perfectly divided into three. Six, seven middle of the road, and then the six sixth, best. The sixth Okay, because oh, there are 19. Dumbo. Including Dumbo, including right? Dumbo. So the first of my least favorite Tim Burtons would come in 1992, which is a little surprising because as a kid, I couldn't have been more excited for this film. I mentioned that my brother was uh, living in a different country, was riding a bike, saw the poster for this film, and crashed his bike because he too was so excited to see Batman Returns which if you if you look at the critic scores for this it's actually higher than the original Batman not in my book I just I've tried to give this movie so many chances I cannot enjoy it so Batman Returns would be the first one the next one would come in 2005 so he's got a pretty good long stretch of decent movies there right With a film that Cole recently watched called Corpse Bride, another film that I tried to give another chance to. And this time around, I had higher hopes for it because it started out strong and then it just really tanked after that. I was just not a fan of the film, didn't have any characters that I really cared for. I mean, it is an animated film, so it's a little tougher to pull off. But Corpse Bride, yeah, not so much. Then the next one would come five years later in Alice in Wonderland 2010. Um... Just one of those CGI-infested films that 
would they would have done so much better to invest in the script than in all that yeah, CGI? It's kind of a mess. This like was the Anne Hathaway character is a little over the top. Yeah, this was the first movie I ever fell asleep during in <laughs> theaters. <laughs> So to make this a little more depressing, I believe I went and saw this movie alone on my birthday. Yeah. (laughs) Well, no wonder you don't like it. Yeah. Um, And 2012, also not a great year as far as Tim Burton movies go because both of the movies that he made in in that year would be in this list as well. And starting off with the one that I consider is the most objectively bad Tim Burton movie. And if you look at Rotten Tomatoes, that is confirmed. And I think pretty much everybody in this room who's seen this film would confirm... It's ridiculous. ...that Dark Shadows yeah. is Tim Burton's worst film. Very forgettable, if, you know, the, anything else. My vendetta against it is that I'm an actual fan of the 60s television right. show. And it just poked it until it was dead. This would be like a big slap in the face for you, Cole. I could see that. And they really tried to make it kind of like the Brady Bunch movie where they take this, you know, it's a fish out of water type of story and they try to infuse it with comedy. I don't remember laughing a single time. I do remember laughing a little bit with the Jackie Earl Haley uh, caretaker character. And I should mention that this is my favorite Eva Green performance in a Tim Burton movie. She is amazing as Angelique, I think. Okay. Just some of the Mm. the ways that she interacts with Barnabas. My other least favorite uh, film of Tim Burton's came in 2012 as well when he did the full-feature-length version of Frankenweenie, this time with Disney's big stamp of approval on it. It just, it's not a bad film per se. It was nominated for an Oscar, but uh, it just didn't do anything for me. That's fair. Yeah. And then the last came in 2014. So his he had four films in a row that I consider to be among his worst. This one was Big Eyes. This is Tim Burton trying to be taken a little more seriously by doing a straight drama. And uh, the biggest crime of this movie was that it was just Land. Mm-hmm. You can't even almost say the same thing. Can almost not tell that it's a Tim Burton movie. So those would be my least favorite Tim Burton films. My middle of the road Tim Burton films would go as follows. Uh, the first one would come in 1994 with a film that a lot of people consider his best film, Ed Wood. I've given this film a glance or two, and I. Uh, I'm just not as in love with this character as Tim Burton obviously was. Stylistically, it's amazing, though, and it's the only film that has won an Oscar for acting. Martin Lando playing Bella Lugosi in a great he performance. He uses Christopher Lee in a lot of his movies, yes. like real-life Christopher yes. Lee, and then he makes a movie about Bella Lugosi. <laughs> as a horror fan, I really do. I appreciate yes. what Tim Burton does. So a film... Uh, in 1996, that came out at the perfect time for me. It was at the perfect age to see Mars Attacks. I love this idea of this uh, this homage to B-horror movies where you're just put it, putting in all of these cameos by all these celebrities. It's a fun film to watch. And I would almost put it in one of my favorite Tim Burton films. It's just not as solid as the others. It is very enjoyable in my book, though. The next one, and then we're going to get to three in a row, 1999, Sleepy Hollow, another one that I, I was just barely not old enough to get into on my own, so I had to have my older brother take me into it. Stylistically, this one is really solid as well. I love the Danny Elfman score for this one, too. And another one that you mentioned where you see a lot of 
black and white stripes, alluding to another Tim Burton film that will come up here soon. Sleepy Hollow is another that has famous Tim Burton goofy gnarled trees as well as right. a large set the haunted point. woods. The next one came in 2001 with Planet of the Apes. Now, to be fair, I've only seen this film once. I probably don't hate it as so many other people do, and I do think that the ending is preposterous, and I did not appreciate the ending to it. But I think there's a lot of good in this movie, and not just with the makeup, which was amazing, but uh, I, it's it's a different spin on this Planet of the Apes. It's not as campy as the original films, which Cole loves the original Planet of the Apes films. I do, and I'm okay with this one as well. Whenever we revisited movies uh, in a screen cleaning show a little bit ago, I came away a little bit more positive about this one. Yeah. And I, the next one is 2005's Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, a pretty solid middle-of-the-road Tim Burton film. And Danny Elfman's score is a big part of what makes this movie enjoyable. And I think we've talked enough about Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. The next middle-of-the-road pick wouldn't come until 2016 when I saw Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children, also starring Eva Green in the title role. Uh, This is one of the few films not scored by Danny Elfman, as we've already established. And what I like about this is that it's just got some really cool characters. These these children have really unique, cool powers. In a lot of these films where you have characters with cool powers, their downfall is when their powers aren't cool. And in this one, they're actually really cool. And for a lot of kind of mundane powers, I have a little bit of a lesser opinion on this because I love the book and I was kind of excited to see how Tim Burton would bring those visuals to life, and I just didn't think it had the same magic that I was expecting. Right. We've already done a review on this last middle-of-the-road Tim Burton film, which is Dumbo 2019, out this weekend. Not bad. Not bad. But not great. Not great. All right. Now, we're seeing a pattern here that four of the six Tim best Tim Burton films were his first four films. So starting with Pee-wee's Big Adventure, in, in Jeff's my opinion. opinion. Right. I love that he uses animation. I love that it's kind of scary. As a kid, I was scared of all the clowns. And it's objectively just a great comedy, a great road trip comedy. Cole, why don't you like the half of the film that you watched? I could not continue watching Pee-wee in general. I did not grow oh, up with Pee-wee. Yeah, that's he, how I feel about Cole. it. Cole! When I look at, like, Fred on YouTube in the 2000s, I see a lot of just people. Like, he is the most annoying, singularly insufferable, immature, adult, man-child character I've ever seen on film. Wow. And I couldn't keep... Wow. Nothing around him was funny enough to keep me watching and to keep me... You you see YouTube the large march part, though. Yes. Just just for the sake of understanding it. Did you see the scene with Mickey, the escaped convict? Yes. That is one of the funniest scenes in the movie, Cole. (sighs) You know those do not remove tags they put on mattresses under penalty of law? Yeah. Well, I cut one of them off. Yeah. I got a real bad temper. That's what he went to jail for. How many times have you seen that? That's so, of course (laughs) I've seen it a hundred times. All right. So, 1988, Beetlejuice. The best Danny Elfman score in a Tim Burton film. And arguably the best... Tim Burton film. I'd argue it. Yes. It's my favorite. It is the one. most out there. I I I would venture to say that I've never seen another movie like Beetlejuice in my life. It is such a strange film on so many levels, not just aesthetically 
uh, and with the tone of the film. The way the titular character is even utilized as such a minor character. As a kid, I was kind of terrified of this movie, and yet I wanted to watch it. Even now, as an adult, I wouldn't say it doesn't give me nightmares, but it's still unsettling. I agree. the smoothest crossover between live action and stop motion going on. Yes. And, yeah, the reason I would say it's arguably his best film and the reason why I don't think we see movies like this, even in Tim Tim Burton's wheelhouse, is because this is the type of movie that scares studio execs and movie studios to death because – it's such an out there film that's really hard to categorize that they would never put resources behind this again, which is why the, the Tim Burton movies you're seeing now are more of a safer bet. They're more of like the CGI big budget movies that you're, you don't have these oddball scripts anymore being made into major motion pictures. I have my own theory. We, okay. It's kind of a known fact that Tim Burton movies aren't seen as as great anymore as they used to be in the 80s. I think that it's the same kind of effect as really gothy emo bands have when they try to continue on for 30 mm-hmm. years. They're not angsty teenagers anymore. They got all of that out. Eventually, you just grow yeah. up and can't tap into that anymore. Yep. Tim Burton, when he was in the 80s and 90s, had that angst, had that just stuff he needed to get onto the screen. And now he's, you know, an adult. He's figured out his problems, yeah. so he doesn't know how to get back so to that weird childhood. Yeah. yeah. 1989, his next film, Batman, also one of my favorites. 1990, Edward Scissorhands. This is a reminder to us all that Tim Burton loves making movies. I try to name a movie that was made by Tim Burton with a few outliers that isn't about an outcast or an oddball character that people just don't understand, right? And we mentioned that uh, Vincent Price would pop up again in the list, and this is where it is because he had an on-camera role in this film, and I believe it was one of Vincent Price's final roles on camera. To me, this is the most Tim Burton movie. Oh, absolutely. Right. Also, a co- hot topic uh, profit yes. generator. Yeah. He also had a hand in, in the writing of this script as well, or at least the story. The next best Tim Burton film, in my opinion, Mickey would not agree, would come in 2003 with Big Fish. Mm. I like that it's just this <laughs> wonderful storytelling movie. That is also kind of it. It uh, it kind of doesn't look like a Tim Burton, but it kind of does. Anytime Helena Bonham Carter shows up, and it's just a great film about this relationship between a father and a son, and how they are reconciled toward the end of this patriarch's life. If you want to hear why it's not a good movie, email us at screencleaning <laughs> at byu dot edu. I will send you. Track. The reasons why. Send all of your hate mail my way, and well, let's not call it hate, hate mail, mail first. Let's it's just disagreement mail. Disagreement mail, and uh, the last best, latest, and greatest best film of Tim Burton came in 2007. I think Cole would agree this is one of his better films too. Sure. I was shocked that I liked this movie as much as I did. Cole, what would you have to say about this film? Sweeney Todd, the demon barber of Fleet Street, is just so much fun. This is where, again, as a child, I didn't really get into that Tim Burton angst, like, I'm different, I'm an outsider. But by the time I got to watch Sweeney Todd, it was this perfect combination of fun musicals that I loved and dark actual horror that I loved. And it 
it seemed like it was doing it with a more mature tone. Again, Tim Burton was a little older when he made this. It wasn't an outsider for being an outsider's sake. It was just a cool, dark tale. And I love it. To me, it was like a mixture of Little Shop of Horrors and Les Mis. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, that's a pretty good, uh, that's what it is. Yes. Great performances in this. And in fact, the the only other Tim Burton film, I believe, that features an Academy Award nominated performance this time from Johnny Depp in the Best Actor role. So good for him. Well, as we do on each and every show, we like to end the show by doing a little panning for good. There's good in them dire hills. It's no secret that I'm a huge Danny Elfman fan. I have a soundtrack of Danny Elfman scores. I listen to them quite frequently. And so I wanted to come up with a Danny Elfman score that I really liked that was not in a film directed by Tim Burton. And it came with the release of Men in Black. This is one of the four times Danny Elfman was nominated for an Academy Award. And it's very deserved. And it's very fitting with the tone of the movie, which was directed by Barry Sonnenfeld. And Men in Black as a movie is so enjoyable. But any time that you see that Danny Elfman name on a movie, you know that it's just going to elevate it that much more. And you know that if it's not a great movie, at least you can enjoy the music. We'll always have Danny Elfman's music. So that's going to do it for this episode of Screen Cleaning. Go out and watch the films of Tim Burton. Go out and listen to the music of Danny Elfman. And check out Dumbo in theaters this weekend. This weekend. Until next week. 